and welcome back to another episode of the Asking for a Friend podcast. It's an elder-led ministry of Believers Baptist Church in Emory, Texas. And my name is Duffy Henderson, and I'm your host. The Asking for a Friend podcast exists as a weekly resource for the edification and the benefit of God's people. Here we hope to provide helpful, thoughtful, and most importantly, biblical material as we address everyday life questions and issues. So if you find this podcast helpful, please take a few moments to share it with someone that you think would also benefit from it. Thanks for listening in, and may the Lord bless this episode greatly to you as a means of grace for your spiritual growth and your benefit. Well, today we are jumping into a new month of podcast episodes, and this is the month of April 2023, and we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, This month we celebrate Easter, and we are going to try to uh, theme some of our episodes this month around Easter. And today I've, I'm joined um, by a, a new friend. Uh, they have been uh, in Emory for um, not quite a year yet, uh, but I've grown to, uh, to know and to love this brother. His name is Tyler Milliken, and I'm going to get him to introduce himself in just a moment. But if you've been listening um, or if you've been here at the church in the last several months, you've, know, you've gotten to know him, you've been able to meet him, his wife, uh, his beautiful children. And they're a welcome addition here uh, at Believers. But Tyler has much to offer, and I'm going to get him to introduce himself. First of all, Tyler, welcome to the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Duffy. Uh, It's good to have you today. I've been looking forward to talking with you. We've had some side conversations uh, in the the past weeks about various things and love chatting theology. And um, actually, for the listeners, uh, he's actually helping me work on some Hebrew right now. dabbling and getting getting my feet wet in uh, the, the biblical languages, and he's been helping in that regard. L'chaim. Oh, yeah. See, I don't even know what that means. It's a life. Oh, there you go. There you go. So today, we want, to, uh, we want to bring you something that hopefully will help you as you are growing in your spiritual walk this month specifically um, around the theme of the resurrection. What better thing can we talk about than the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? And so we want to spend a little time, if you've seen the, uh, the title of this episode, we're talking about the resurrection in John's gospel account. So you may want to grab a Bible. Um, I'm sure that Tyler will reference a few verses in John's gospel, but we're going to just dive in um, after he introduces himself. So first of all, before we d- jump into John's gospel, uh, introduce yourself, Tyler, to the, the audience, whoever's listening. Who, who are you? Sure. Thank you, Duffy. My name is Tyler James Milliken. I'm a graduate of the doctoral program at Westminster Theological Seminary. did my doctoral studies under G.K. Beale, who's known as one of the world's leading revelation scholars. And I studied the use of the Old Testament in the book of Revelation. So we were primarily looking at how Old Testament prophecies are fulfilled in the end times and fulfilled through Christ. That sounds like a mouthful. <laughs> um so you've spent a lot of time in John's work, in the, the Apostle John's work. Obviously, he wrote Revelation, he wrote his gospel account, and he also wrote a few other letters that are way at the back, mm. almost to the book of Revelation in our New Testaments. Probably most of us are familiar with 1 John, but maybe less so with 2 and 3 John. That's right. Um, and I know that you've been doing some, some work in those areas as well. And so you have been immersed in John's writings for quite some time. Is that correct? 
Absolutely. Those are the forgotten epistles in many ways, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. I'm currently writing some small research commentaries on John's epistles, and we're also going through a study on Sunday nights in the Upper Room Discourse, which has an amazing overlap with the content in John's epistles as well. So we're seeing a lot of John's theology coming out in all these different books. Wow, that's amazing. So that leads right into kind of our discussion today. So we we want to just give a 20-minute or so walkthrough of this big picture of the resurrection of Jesus within John's gospel. And so I know you've got some things queued up. Uh, You've got several points here to make, but I'm going to let you go ahead and take it away and just kind of start wherever you'd like, and uh, we'll we'll walk through this together. Absolutely. So today we want to consider what is unique about the resurrection account in the gospel of John. Obviously, all four gospel writers are going to give us their record of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So as we're considering the resurrection in John, I think if we want to understand John's unique emphasis, we really have to start in the beginning. And when we start in the beginning, I mean John chapter 1, verse 1. So this is where John tells us, in the beginning was the word. And this is the way John introduces the coming of the Messiah to the people of Israel. So the church fathers have always talked about the gospel of John like the great eagle that soars above the other gospels. He gives us that lofty perspective of the godhood of Christ. And so he begins right here. In the beginning was the word. And the word was not just with God, but at the end of verse 1, we see the word was God. We're starting with the deity of Christ here and a lofty exaltation of the person of Christ. And yet at the same time, this is a Messiah who has boots on the ground. He comes into the kingdom of his people to redeem his people. And so this God enters into humanity. And when he does this, John is very specific to tell us that he takes on a human body. He's fully human. He is fully God. At the same time, he is just as human as you and I are. So in John 1.14, the word became flesh. That means he became a human being like all of us. And he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So if we start here at the beginning, this is foreshadowing the glory that John is eventually going to see through the resurrection of Christ, through his conquest over death. And all of this happens because he enters into the world and takes on a human body. So I think this is what gets us started in the gospel. So if I'm hearing you right, the incarnation itself um, is necessary for our understanding of the resurrection. Understanding the, the fully God, fully man paradigm that there's only been one human being to ever fit that category. Um, one and only. And that's our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Both God and man. Um, and that precurses the resurrection. And that, that, that the resurrection is, does not have the same power without understanding the incarnation. That's kind of where you're leading us a little bit, right? We have to understand the incarnation to fully appreciate the resurrection. That's exactly right. And so what we're seeing is you talked about the one and only one who could do this. That's exactly what John is telling us. He is the only begotten of the Father. That's right. And so there's a midpoint in the Gospel of John where we begin to see that the death and resurrection of Christ is being foreshadowed, and that would lead us from the beginning of John's Gospel into the Upper Room Discourse. 
And this introduces one of the great participants in the Easter appearances in the Gospel of John, which is that fellow known as Doubting Thomas. Oh, he's got a rap, doesn't he? He sure, he sure <laughs> does. He sure does. We're going to clear that up, but we're also going to enter into Thomas's problems. I, I think, I think though, he gets some bad press. He maybe. sure does. So sure walk does. us through this. So we're here in the Upper Room Discourse, and Christ has been telegraphing to his disciples that he is going to go away and depart from them, by which he means he's going to be betrayed, he's going to be crucified, and yet with that, he's going to secure the kingdom of God for them. He's going to prepare a place for them, and so he's somehow going to be victorious through death. And so in John 14, 3, he tells his disciples, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. And then he says, and you know the way where I am going. Mm. So the disciples who have understanding should be beginning to see that he's going to go through death and then eventually through the resurrection to secure this kingdom. But Thomas is having trouble seeing this, as many of us do. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And this is the great introduction to the famous mm. I am statement when Christ mm. tells him, I am the way I am the and way. the truth yeah. and the life. And no one comes to the Father so but through me. So what we'll see here is that this path, if he is the way, he is the path, that path is going to have to go through his death to atone for our sins. And it's going to have to go through his resurrection life to bring us to the Father. Wow, that's incredible. So we see that, uh, even in chapter 14, and I think I would say it's probably even alluded to prior to 14, but you're, you're bringing us to chapter 14, that the resurrection is already, Jesus is already preparing the disciples. He's laying these breadcrumbs as we see throughout the Gospels. Uh, Lord, you're saying these hard things. How, how, how can we understand these things? You know, we see that throughout the Gospels. And we have another example right here. Uh, Thomas is just baffled by this, right? Um, as I love that you, we all are, <laughs> we would all have said the same thing. What do you mean? Yes. You know? Where is this way? Where, where are you going? Yes. Yes. And so Christ is beginning to lead them toward the truth of his death, burial, and resurrection. This is what all the disciples are struggling with. And one reason it's very important to home in on Thomas is that Thomas is going to be one of the great observers of the first resurrection appearances. And this is what is really unique the gospel of John. I love that. We don't get so much emphasis on Thomas in these other gospels. So we see Thomas beginning to wrestle with his doubts here in chapter 14. But by the time we get to the actual resurrection, God is going to use Thomas to actually showcase the glory of the resurrection. So we'll see that in John chapter 20. So if we start off in John chapter 20, the first 10 verses are going to give us the common material to all four Gospels. So this is the initial appearance at the empty tomb. We see that this is on the first day of the week. So we're now in the first Easter. Mary Magdalene arrives early. She comes. The stone has already been taken away. Simon Peter is there and the disciple whom Jesus loved. So this is the Gospel of John. There's our author, John himself. Love that. So they run to the tomb and they stoop down and they look in. They see the linen wrappings in verse 5, but no one else is there. And so Christ is gone, and you have this mysterious resurrection appearance, which again is included in all four of our Gospels. But a little bit later, we're going to find a unique emphasis in John's Gospel, which is based on his appearance to the disciples, and we could pick up on this in verse 19. 
And so when it was evening later that day, so this is the very same day, you have a, an Easter evening worship service, you may say. Oh, it's I like it. Starting to sound pretty biblical. I the like where you're going with this. Gathered here and they get a special appearance of the risen Christ on the first day of the week. And when the doors were shut, this is when Christ famously appears through the shut doors because they're afraid of the persecution. After Christ has been put to death, the disciples are fearing for their lives. Nevertheless, Christ appears somehow through the locked doors of this closed off room. Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. Love that. And what we see after he speaks peace from his resurrection he has his victory. Their sins have been atoned for. He speaks peace. And when he has said this in verse 20, what does he show them? He shows them his hands and his side. Mm. This is the full humanity of Christ after the incarnation, fully resurrected, fully alive as a living human being just like us who has overcome death for his disciples. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord in verse 20. That is incredible. You know, I've been doing some work on um, one of my classes. I'm a seminary student right now, and I've been doing some work in Paul's um, epistle to the Corinthians in chapter 15, uh, speaking about the resurrection and our guarantee of our resurrection on account of Christ's resurrection, yes. and that it will be a bodily resurrection. So those are, those thoughts are running through my mind right now, that um, he the, the fact of his resurrection is our hope that we also too will follow just like he where I'm going you will be as well I have to follow through this death and resurrection so those are just some interesting thoughts I'm I'm rolling around in my mind right now great a keep going absolutely if if we're going to have to have a glorified body he has to have a glorified body yep because we're in union with him there we go and so here's his his appearance and in verse 21 he says again peace be with you as the father has sent me i also send you and then we're going to see something else unique in the gospel of john is that we have a foreshadowing of pentecost i love it right here in john chapter 20 so if anyone has ever been confused by people claiming that the Holy Spirit didn't exist before Pentecost or that somehow Christ had to tag team out and the Holy Spirit had to come in, we see here in chapter 20, Christ is there and he's giving the Holy Spirit to his apostles right now before that. Pentecost. That's great. So in verse 22, he breathes on them and says to mm. them, receive the Holy Spirit. That breath of God is the same word that we would use for the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to see shortly after this, this unique appearance to Doubting Thomas. Yeah, he's back. He's back. So we're in verse 24. Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. And so the other disciples are, of course, reporting to Thomas, we have seen the Lord, verse 25. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and unless I put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe, mm. says Thomas. Now, this is not just saying, oh, it's hard to believe. This is like an anti-confession from Thomas. Unless you can give me visible material proof, Thomas is saying, unless I can touch this resurrected body, I'm not going to believe. And so what we have at the end of the Gospel of John is really the story of God overcoming our unbelief mm. and providing what we need to have faith. Mm. And so after eight days, his disciples are again inside and Thomas is with them. So Jesus arrives again. Jesus came while the doors were shut and stood in their midst. And what does he speak? As always, peace be with you. Mm. 
even so to good. his doubting disciple. It's yes. so good. He's yes. speaking peace to his disciples. And then he's going to respond to Thomas's anti-confession to overcome his doubts. And how then did, he said, how did he know? <laughs> oh, that's a good question, right? <laughs> it almost seems as if there's a combination of deity and humanity. Oh, man. Here. Then he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands. And reach here your hand and thrust it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. Oh, man, what a rebuke. It's, it's a massive rebuke. And yet at the same time, it's going to lead to worship. Yes. And Amen. so Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my mm. God. Here's the great confession from Thomas. And the reason why. We have to start in John chapter 1 is to see that this one that was God in eternity past with the Father is now here in a human body, standing before Thomas, so that Thomas doesn't just call him Lord, he calls him my God. Wow, that's an incredible profession. So uh, if you're following along, he's in um, John 20, verse 28. That's where Thomas makes this incredible profession. My my first thoughts are when, uh, I don't know if Peter is... In, in, in John's account, when he says this, but I know that in one of the accounts, Peter makes this proclamation that you are the Christ. Um, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? So we, I love seeing these uh, confessions from Jesus' apostles, that he is not just mere man, but he is the promised one, the, the one that was foretold from the prophets in the Old Testament. He is here. We have seen his glory. It's amazing. He's beheld his glory, and this is considered a great high point or even the apex of the confession of John's gospel. Because if we remember back in the Upper Room Discourse, when Thomas was doubting, he did call him Lord. He said, Lord, where are you going? And how do we know the way? But now he's going to confess. He understands the way now. He's seen the death and the resurrection of Christ. And now he calls him not only Lord, but he says, my Lord and my God. And then there's a special blessing here for all of us who are contemplating the resurrection here during this Easter season. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see, and yet they have believed. Oh man, that's so wonderful. That And that brings my mind immediately to Hebrews chapter 11. Um, we have faith and we walk by faith and not by sight, right? That you and I do not have to have Jesus standing here in this room to be for sure that he has risen. Um, we have that sure word as Peter wrote, um, that this testimony, this witness to his resurrection. And by faith, we see him and we receive him. Mm -hmm. It's wonderful. Indeed. We have a more sure word of prophecy. And so there really right. is a special blessing for the church of all ages here because we see the Lord is willing to overcome the unbelief of his disciples. And he does this in such a way with Thomas that he's going to show him his physical body. But for us, we actually have, we say this cautiously and we say this reverently, but God has allowed us to have a greater measure of faith because we're not going to see him physically, and yet we see him by the eyes of faith. Yes, and that, that's crucial because, you know, even us as believers, I know that we all struggle with our belief. We, we, can, we can also pray with the disciples, Lord, help our unbelief at times. Um, sometimes our faith is really on the rocks, but it, it's, it's imperative that we cry out to him for assistance. The Holy Spirit is there to not only comfort us, but to lead us into all truth, to guide us, to assure us of our 
um, our union with Christ. I think the resurrection and our union with Christ are some crucial components to our um, contemplating the resurrection this Easter. Mm -hmm. It is crucial. And what it shows us ultimately is that since we are in union with Christ, the shepherd is going to take care of his sheep. Amen. He's going to lead us. He's going to call us by name. And he's even going to overcome our doubts. To the extent that now, at the end of John's gospel, we see a movement from doubting Thomas to trusting Thomas. Mm. And so he gives this great confession, famous confession, at the end of John's gospel. And notice how closely this is tied together with what is called the purpose statement of the gospel of John. So right after verse 28, you get the confession, my Lord and my God. In verse 30, John is going to review all the different sign miracles that Christ has performed in this gospel, and that there are many more that were not even recorded in this book that Christ had performed during his lifetime. But the ones that John wrote down, he wrote down for this purpose. We see this in John 20, 31, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So we see how the confession in verse 28 is moving us toward the purpose here of recognizing the identity of Christ as God, that is the Son of God incarnate, as the human Messiah who paid for our sins, and as the resurrected and conquering Messiah that brings us to the Father. By believing in him, we may have life in his name. Man, that's so good. Um, there, I, I'm sure that there are so many other uh, areas that we could pull from, but let me ask you this, just to kind of maybe go off script for a moment. In, in John's gospel, um, the resurrection, of course, is the kind of the apex of his, well, it's the apex of all of the gospel accounts, but I think in John's gospel, it's like you already pointed out from chapter one, um, it's all moving towards something, but it has a theological bent toward it with John is writing. Um, in, in Matthew's account, we, we kind of have a little bit more narratival style of writing, just historical uh, accounts, maybe more like the gospel or the book of Acts. Sure. Um, but John's gospel seems to be certainly a little bit more theologically focused, synthesizing some things and pointing us. So my question would be, um, a- along with the resurrection and the, the deity and humanity of Christ, are there any other themes um, throughout John's gospel that would be interesting to, to highlight that would maybe supplement what we're talking about today? Certainly. Well, obviously what is central is the deity and humanity of Christ. But one thing that we've seen here is that tied together with that are what John calls the sign miracles. And so we see this in verse 20, the reference to all the sign miracles that Christ had done throughout this book. And that's one way that the Messiah was revealing his identity to all the people of Israel when he entered into this world. And so some scholars point out how there are no classic parables in the Gospel of John. All the other Gospels are filled with many parables. But they would say, well then, in the Gospel of John, where are the parables? In a sense, Jesus is the parable before the eyes of the people of Israel. And the way he's acting out these parables is through these sign miracles. And so you have seven great sign miracles throughout the Gospel of John, all of which are going to reveal his identity through his deeds, not just through his words as well. Yeah, so his, his words and his actual physical life were revelation in, in a sense, right? Is that where you're going with that? Indeed. That all of it um, was revealing, essentially re- revealing God himself, right? He is the word made flesh. Man, that's so good. Well, um, 
let's let's kind of wrap the episode up. So we're thinking about Easter. Uh, it's uh, I believe it's Sunday, April 9th. So this uh, this episode will be coming out right before um, Easter Sunday as we're thinking about this. Um, what do we have as far as some closing comments, uh, maybe some encouragement, maybe some pastoral application, um, just any kind of any, anything that you might want to throw in at the end of this episode that will help um, us think better about the resurrection this year? I would just really assure everyone that if they are struggling with doubts, especially during this season, take a close look at this passage and just think about what God has done for us not just in history with Christ coming into the world and paying for sins, but at the individual level of our own lives, that even when we're doubting, he's willing to meet us in our doubting and call us to greater faith and actually bring his sheep closer to the shepherd, just as he's done with Thomas. Man, that's really, really good. Well, Tyler, it's been a great, uh, great conversation. Thanks for coming on to the episode today. And, uh, I think we may have you back on soon, so uh, we'll we'll put this on pause for now, and uh, we'll have you back on soon. But that's it for today's episode. We hope that you've enjoyed it. Thanks again for taking your time today and listening to the Asking for a Friend podcast. I hope it's been a blessing to you. But before you go, like or share this podcast with anyone that you might um, think would be benefited by it. Uh, Click, uh, click the like button on the podcast catcher that you have. Share it through Twitter or Facebook or however else you share media. And don't forget one final thing, that you can submit to us a question to consider at a future podcast date through our website, bbcemory.org. Go to our media tab and there's a box on that um, website page that you can submit us a question. But until next time, grace and peace be with you all.